HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Hey, this is Kat, Communications Director of HRN, here with a preview of Episode 2 of Meat and 3. This week, we're talking pork. We'll learn the best way to make a BLT. I don't think I've ever successfully made a BLT just because I eat the bacon before any other part. How pitmasters and restaurateurs are helping put small-scale pig farmers back to work in Alabama. It's all about money. That's the bottom line. What pork has to do with economics? Farmers could be particularly affected by China's threat to levy its own tariffs on pork and soybeans. And with government. Basically all of politics is pork at this point. So tune in on Friday afternoon for your weekly serving of Meat in 3. And make sure you subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes air. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 108 of Feast Your Ears. Today's theme is what can we learn from fish and VWs? I've been into fishing since I was a kid. I'm not in it for the sport. It's not my job. I've never owned a boat. I don't have any fancy equipment. Most of my time with a rod in hand has been spent on one floating dock off a pier in Penobscot Bay in Maine. Countless hours I've stood there, cast, reel in, jig, reel in, jig, reel in, jig, repeat. Over the years, it's become a meditative pastime when I'm lucky enough to get a few minutes or a few hours to myself in one of my favorite places. I fish that dock in the rain, sleet, sun, morning, evening, high tide, low tide, mostly What I catch there is mackerel. Once in a while, a flounder-like flatfish, a few squid over the years, and once I caught my own ankle. It still smarts when I think about the doctor pulling out the jig against the barb without any kind of pain medicine. But the next day, I went back to fishing. When I was about eight was the first time I went out at sunrise alone. The independence that that granted me being there alone. I could still see my parents' porch from the dock. But I was there catching fish, Brought it home, cleaned it, cooked it for myself. It's something that I remember to this day. 
There's a reverence and respect for food that gets trotted out a lot these days, and I often wonder if people have any idea what it takes not only to grow or raise or cook or prepare the food, but what it's like to catch a wild animal, kill it, clean it, eat it, trading its life for helping yours. I love fish, and I think more and more we need to respect the source and make sure we're harvesting responsibly. It's not an endless resource, although the WPA would have had you think otherwise when they printed a poster in the late 1930s, encouraging us to, quote, save the products of the land, eat more fish, they feed themselves. We can no longer take this view, but we're lucky enough to have fisheries where they're managed and populations are healthy. The Maine lobster fishery, for one, the scallop fishery off the Atlantic coast of the United States, and Copper River in Alaska are some of them. My guest today is Nellie Hand. She's a commercial, commercial fisherman, splits her time between Cordova, Alaska, and the Pacific Northwest. With her husband, Michael, she runs Drifter's Fish, where they provide the best Copper River salmon direct to chefs and consumers. Nellie and I also share a love of esoteric Volkswagen vans. I drive a 1990 tin top Vanagon, and Nellie and Michael have a Doka. Those in the know are starting to drool. There's almost no vehicle I'd rather be driving. I've owned older VWs and newer cars, and while I have a certain pull for the hippie-minded Woodstock crowd, the older ones, that is, the Vanagon is nearly the perfect vehicle in my opinion. It's the culmination of 50 years of German engineering to create a platform that could go from the city to the mountains. It could be a truck, a minivan, a home, a business, and more, all wrapped into a fairly efficient package. Great visibility, terrible aerodynamics, and superior practicality. While mine feels quite primitive, at 28 years old and over 200,000 miles, my wife and I took it 5,000 miles with our two kids, who were seven and three last summer, and had exactly zero breakdowns. To be fair, you have to be somewhat self-sufficient to own these, or have deep pockets and a nearby mechanic, but we, and I'm sure Nellie and Michael, wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks, Nellie, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, you know, we'll... Um, just to, to talk for a second, because I realize people may not have any idea what it means when I say you have a doka. So Vanigans, uh, those of you that, that may know what that is, you can certainly look it up. Uh, van life is a hashtag that has appeared on Instagram. And is I, I have been driving my van since before Instagram existed. So I guess I was part of the van life thing before that happened. But you know, people are, are using this platform. The Vanigan platform was made from about 1980 to 1991 and looks like a giant cardboard box, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a platform that VW used for all kinds of things. And the Doka was a pickup truck that could actually still hold four adults in the cab. So it's a double cab pickup and they're not, they're very rare in this country, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Michael was so excited to get his hands on one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so tell me, where'd you guys get it? Um, we found it in Oregon. Um, we actually bought it sight unseen a couple summers ago when we were fishing because he found it online and he was like, I have to have this. And you were up in Alaska and it was in Oregon. Yeah, Yeah, working. So we had a friend um, go and pick it up for us and drive it back to Washington. And um, last summer, Michael drove it all the way up to Alaska and it was our work truck for fishing. It was amazing. It worked great. Didn't break down on us and hauled a lot of fish. Yeah, they really, I mean, they, they are really, they're incredible vehicles. I bought mine here in Brooklyn. Hmm. Uh, it broke down on the test drive in Greenwood Cemetery. <laughs> and the guy who I bought it from, it was registered. It had last been registered in California, but the registration was expired. And he didn't have any insurance. So I got a pretty good deal on it. I had to fix it when I bought it. But yeah. that's how I ended up with mine. They, all, they awesome. all come with stories. Right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So you have always kind of split your time, right? You grew up splitting your time between Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like to grow up 
in that way? Yeah. Um, it feels very natural to be living my life in the same kind of, um, you know, seasonal transition. You know, as spring comes, you kind of feel that I feel that inside of me to, you know, transplant to Alaska and get ready to go fishing and get ready for the harvest. And as the summer winds down, end of September, um, you're ready for change of scenery and to see what the next season holds. And I grew up that way with my family. We um, lived in Santa Cruz, California, and would spend winters there. My dad was a teacher. And then the whole family would migrate up to Alaska, and we'd fish together and work together. And then summer would wrap up, and we'd move again. And um, I love the connection to the seasons. I love that it um, really ties you to what's happening around you and... Um, how the weather is changing and the air is changing and what's happening on the water and with wild animals and all of that. I, I really love being a part of it. And salmon was always what the family has fished? Yeah, we've always fished for salmon. And what kind of salmon do you catch? Um, so I grew up fishing for pink salmon. Um, we had a seine boat, and so those are um, the kind of boat where you have a half-mile-long net and you're scooping up the salmon and um, dumping it into refrigerated seawater on the boat and then delivering it, and a lot of that gets canned. Sure. And then now Michael and I own a 31-foot gill netter, and we're catching all five species of Pacific salmon. So our season starts with king salmon in May, and we're also doing sockeye salmon. And then in June, um, we're catching kita salmon, and um, July is sockeye again, and um, pinks in August, and coho in September. Wow, it's busy. Yeah. Busy schedule. <laughs> yeah. So is Michael in Alaska right now fishing? He is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He um, kept the boat running yesterday. The fishery was open again, and um, went out and caught a few kings, a few sockeye, and made it home in one piece. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so, I mean, do you have a favorite salmon? Is that like asking about your favorite child? <laughs> oh, man. Um, yesterday, we actually did a side-by-side -side tasting of all five species, oh, and I'd never actually tried them all at once in a row like that. And um, it was amazing, just the different flavor of each one. It was really fun. But I think I love... Um, I think I love sockeye salmon. I think yeah. that'd be my favorite. <laughs> that's, your, that's your number one. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, when you were growing up and the family was fishing, did Drifters Fish exist as a company? No. So Michael and I started that about four years ago, um, kind of after running our own boat for a little while and um, finding our own independence in the fishery and just kind of had this uh, mutual connection that we wanted to be more hands-on with our fish. Like... Um, I grew up selling fish to a cannery, and that's how a lot of Alaska seafood gets to people's plates, which right. is incredible. And we just kind of wanted to dip our toe in the water and see what it was like to be every step of the supply chain. Sure, sure. So tell me a little bit about what happened. So with the king salmon, for instance, that Michael caught yesterday, what happens? How do, how do those fish get from Alaska and from the water mm -hmm. to a consumer? Yeah, so... Um, we figured out a pretty good partnership and, uh, you know, each our roles in making this happen. And so um, I handle a lot of, like, the logistics. And so since I'm here on the East Coast right now and he was out there fishing, we were texting back and forth and he was letting me know what he was catching. I was communicating with our chefs and trying to figure out orders. And so he'll catch it. And then last night he brought it all back to town and I had um, facilitated orders from our chefs and where it was going to go. And then... Um, in town last night, we work with another couple that cuts it all for us and heads and guts it and packs it in boxes with ice. And then um, 
We put it on Alaska Air Cargo, and it goes shipped straight to people's restaurants and then delivered to their door. Got it. So, you know, so modern technology, cell phones and the internet have really mm-hmm. allowed this to happen rather than the fish just going to a cannery and mm-hmm. getting canned and mm-hmm. ending up sort of overcooked but still edible, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pretty incredible just that, like, we have cell service out in the Gulf of Alaska. Yeah, that's amazing. And he's sending me photos of these king salmon he just hauled on board, and I yeah. can send that photo to a chef, and then, you know, it all happens. Yeah, and the transparency of that yeah. is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, and then what about, so you sell to chefs, what about to consumers, right? You also have some canned products and, mm-hmm. and uh, more shelf-stable mm-hmm. and fresh, right? Yeah, so um, now I spend my winters in the Pacific Northwest. That's my um, winter home now. And so we do a community-supported fishery there where people in the Northwest can be part of our community as fishermen and help support us out there. And so we sell frozen shares of our salmon. So they'll invest in us and help us pay to get it frozen and processed and everything. And then in October, when we move back down there for the winter, we'll give them a box to have in their freezer, and then they can have quality fish to eat whenever they want. So that's a big part of what we do. And then we also do smoked and shelf-stable products. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it, it seems like you have a lot of, a lot going on. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, but it, but it really also seems like the best way to make use of the resource. Yeah, right? I really love it. I really love um, just the challenge of it all. And just it's so much um, creative thinking and trying to work that you got and try to get um, the best fish that you can for people to eat. Um, I want to I want to touch back on sort of the the van life kind mm-hmm. of thing, um, and not specifically about about vans, but I feel like something that's happened. There was a, there was an article in the New Yorker last year where the writer followed a couple who live in their van again full time, mm-hmm. and wrote a lot about this sort of idea that people are sort of flocking to it as this sort of escapism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that recently. There's a a, a farmer. Uh, subsistence farmer in Alaska, I'm not Alaska, in, sorry, in uh, Australia who lives mm-hmm. off the grid, who I follow on Instagram, who I've communicated with a little bit. And mm-hmm. she recently was complaining that people like text her or message her through Instagram and say, oh, your life is amazing. I want to mm-hmm. come. And, you know, and she, you know, posted and said, well, you know, it's really hard and yeah. I've chosen this. It's not like this is fun, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it is, there are fun pieces to it, but it's really hard. So I'm wondering, do you ever get people who kind of look at your site and look at your Instagram and, and contact you to say, oh, your life is so amazing. Uh-huh. I wish I could live like that. Yeah, definitely. And um, something I think a lot about actually is, um, I think what's hard is that is the side that gets shown, at least in a lot of my personal communication of fishing, because when it is raining sideways yeah. and <laughs> waves are toppling over your boat, you don't have your phone out. Like I'm, yeah. I'm holding That's a on. Very good point. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't really get shared that much. Right. And yeah, um, if, if you I mean, or or I mean, and, and the same thing is true, right? In the van life thing. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, when you're broken you, down. <laughs> yeah, when you're broken down and you're fixing your brakes and it's getting dark and it's getting cold, mm-hmm. you're not pulling out the phone to no. like, make an Instagram story. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to get it fixed about and back how your on knuckles the road. are bleeding right <laughs> yeah so i i think about that a lot in you know both realms of van and and fishing and something like that and it's, it's definitely in the back of my mind like something i want to try to figure out in that um just communication and like visual sharing of what we do to somehow share that as well but like i said it's so hard because when it's like that 
you're not taking pictures. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think of, I mean, you know, the, the popularity some years ago of the, the television show Deadliest Catch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which I think attempted to sort of do that, mm-hmm. right? They put film crews, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you, you and Michael probably have opinions about that as fishermen. Like, could you really do your job while you had a film crew yeah. trying to like get the shot, right? Of yeah. you doing this, especially something that it, something like fishing for king crab. I mean, that's a whole, yeah. you know, that, that stuff is very, very intense. Not that fishing for salmon isn't, yeah. but obviously they chose that because it's an incredibly intense and dangerous fishery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder a little bit about whether that just sensationalized that even more and ended up celebrating these guys who are coming home making a lot of money, which not everybody does. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's an interesting um, portrayal of Alaska, but I have some really good friends that work in the Bering Sea, and it is intense. It's yeah. it's super hard work, and I'm very um, proud of everyone that goes <laughs> out there to harvest what the seafood that's there because it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. Um, And then when we come back, I want to talk about, about, you know, about Alaska and about life, life in Alaska. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and my guest today is Nellie Hand, who with her husband, Michael, run Drifters Fish uh, in Alaska, and they split their time. They're in Alaska fishing from spring through early fall till September or so, um, and lucky enough to have Nellie here in New York today in the studio while Michael is fishing uh, in Alaska. So <laughs> Keeping things going. Because yeah. <laughs> you have to fish while you can, right? Yeah. When, yeah. The season is, when the season is open. So... You know, I've never been to Alaska, but it seems like it's really still a frontier, um, that there's very little, there are a few places left on earth and certainly a few places left in the United States that are as wild as Alaska. Um, do you have any, do you have any like favorite places in Alaska or specific times of year, uh, or things that, you know, that, that happen there that happen nowhere else? Yeah. Alaska's incredible. I'm really love calling it home there. And, um, this time of year too, there's just so much energy across the state, even with like the seafood season and salmon kicking off. And, um, it's just going to keep accelerating from there. You know, like we start on Thursday out in the Gulf of Alaska, harvesting copper river salmon. And from there, you know, Western Alaska, Bristol Bay will take off and then Southeast Alaska will take off. And just to be a part of these 
hundreds, thousands of fishermen that are all out there harvesting is um, really, really incredible to get to be a part of. And it's amazing that as the, um, you know, season starts to grow, things start to boom, so does the daylight. And oh, right. um, that's so amazing that like, as you're working harder, the light just gets longer. So you're working longer and you just, you just never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you feel like the having all of that daylight actually helps you to work longer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, a part of what helps get the job done. I guess your circadian rhythms kind of change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what about, uh, what about food? I mean, so before the show we were, we were chatting in the little green room there about you know, it's hard to get things in Alaska sometimes, right? And how food is expensive. Mm-hmm. Avocados was one of the examples yes. that was that was brought up. <laughs> that you know, in fact, the uh, the the king salmon that we can get in New York right now, that's being flown here, <laughs> is cheaper than the avocados are in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we have like a small little grocery store in the coastal community that I live in, and. Some days you go in and there's no produce and just signs right. that say the flight was delayed, like maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And so, but I think what is really amazing about Alaska is you just have so much wild food. There's just so much bounty of right. like salmon and deer and moose and berries and wild greens and um, enjoying that and then preserving it. Right. It's a huge part of life up there. Well, and, and, and I think that, you know, with that comes a, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge of what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as I, I talked about in the opening of the show, I mean, and what you do every day, catching a wild food, mm-hmm. salmon, and then yeah. having to f- know what to do with it, right, in order to keep it, whether yeah. that's packing it nice and shipping it fresh, whether it's canning it, whether it's smoking it, um, mm-hmm. figuring out how to preserve that. And the same thing is true. I mean, if you kill a moose or you kill yeah. a deer, I mean, it's a lot of meat that yeah. you have to do something with it pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. else it's going to go bad. You, uh, you mentioned in your uh, pre-show uh, questionnaire that if you could have dinner with anyone, it would be your grandpa. And I wanted to, wanted to know a little bit more. So he was also a fisherman? He was, yeah. He uh, traveled the world fishing. Um, I think about him a lot because he went everywhere trying to find... He loved fly fishing. So he would always send postcards back of like, oh, I'm in China, I found this amazing river. Or <laughs> wow. I'm in New Zealand, I found this <laughs> river. Amazing. And um, he was also an incredible cook. And um, I have his Gravlox recipe that um, my mom has passed down. And it's so delicious. And it's cured with a little bit of cognac because he loved his cognac. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, he passed away when I was pretty young. And I would just love to connect with him and hear about his travels more and cook with him. And um, just learn more about how he would make salmon. Do you fly fish? A little bit. I'm yeah. learning. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you spend hours, I mean, like endless hours fishing for work, you still find pleasure oh, in yeah. fishing as well? <laughs> yeah. But that's the um, funny thing about fishing. You're just dreaming it, thinking it, doing yeah. it, eating it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favorite way to eat salmon? Um, I love it hot off the grill. And um, when it's grilled with the skin side down and the skin gets crispy like a potato chip, then it's my favorite. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very much, I'm hearing you talk about your grandfather's Gravlox recipe. I'm very partial to Gravlox. Yeah. 
It's one of my one of my favorites because I feel like certainly when you get I have a I have a friend who fishes in Bristol Bay and who gives me some frozen mm. sides every year. That's so good. And I feel like for me that's the best way to treat it because then it can last longer. Yeah. Because if I cook the whole, I mean, it's great if I'm having a party, but like it's a it's too much food to make just for our small family and our mm-hmm. kids don't eat that much. And so, you know, Gravelox at least will last. I can sort of have it over a whole week. That's so. good at last. I'll make it and I just eat the whole tray like <laughs> <laughs> right away. <laughs> um, do you, uh, do you have any, um, I guess any words of wisdom from owning a Vanagon and traveling in a Vanagon? You, you mentioned also uh, before the show, and I completely agree with you on this, that you know, if, if there was one thing I could change about the Vanagon, it would probably be the same, which is that they're very loud mm-hmm. at highway speed. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they were not designed, I don't think, to be uh, long-distance highway vehicles the way that our long-distance highways exist now. And they are very loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um the boat that we run is also very loud. So Michael and I are rapidly going deaf. <laughs> but um, a couple of years ago, we bought noise-canceling headphones for the boat because when we're running around so much trying to find fish, these diesel engines are just roaring. Right. And so um, Michael had the brilliant idea of, like, let's just keep wearing these noise-canceling headphones when we drive anywhere in the van. So we're just two of us up in the passenger seats wearing noise-canceling headphones in the van. We're like, well, we'll talk to you when we get to where we're going. <laughs> Because it's so loud. It's so loud. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very loud. I, I have found I put some uh, sound deadening in mm, mine. That's but a good idea. It, it worked. I mean, it, it did an okay job, but I think in order to really do it, you'd have to completely gut the whole van yeah. and start from scratch. And then yeah. you could probably, probably make it It'd make probably it be worth it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, might, it might be. So you have driven that. You've driven that van basically all over the country. Yeah. Right? So we have... We have two. We have an 87 Westie and a 91 Doka. And um, we've had them both in Alaska and um, the drive up and down from the Pacific Northwest to Alaska is one of Michael's favorites. So he loves to kind of take them back and forth and have that kind of slow transition after the season, too. It's like really nice to do because you're not getting anywhere fast in a van. (laughs) Right. And the visibility is so great. So, I mean, if you're you're talking, I mean, you know, I've only seen pictures. And, of course, as we already said, they're the pictures, not when things are Mm -hmm. difficult. But, you know, Alaska, the landscape is beautiful. And so the van has, you know, it's basically like having a giant, you know, living room window yeah kind of like we have here in the studio except we're looking in we're looking at roberta's we're not looking at you know the mountain ranges in alaska um so i want to make sure that everybody knows where they can find you and find your stuff uh driftersfish.com and at driftersfish on social media uh and what do you have any other uh i guess any other events or things that you're doing while you're in new york when do you go back to alaska um, so I fly back to Alaska tomorrow, but um, it's going to take two days because the town that I live in only has very limited flights in and out. Got it. So I'll fly from here to Seattle, spend the night in Seattle, and then wake up and make my way back to Cordova and then go back to the boat. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, I'm going to uh, wrap up with, a, I guess, a very, a very simple recipe related to fish. Uh, and perhaps if you're really, really nice to Nellie, maybe she'll share her grandfather's Gravlox recipe. I don't know if it's on your site or anything it is. like that. It is. Yeah, awesome. if you go to our website, it's up on there, and my family was generous enough to let me share it with everyone. So 
Um, yeah, it's a favorite. Try not to eat it all at once. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely be making making it very soon. Um, and you know, I was just gonna. I, I like to to sort of finish the show with a with a little bit of a recipe. Um, all those mackerel that I have caught over my entire life. Um, one of my favorite things to do is also to cure them, but not mm. not exactly gravlax, more kind of in a sushi style. And what I like to do is to to take mackerel. I mean, fresher is better, but if you know if you're buying it from the fish market, uh, make sure the eyes are nice and clear and the fish isn't like spongy and starting to decompose. Uh, take your your mackerel fillets. I like to start by covering them in sugar. And I let them cure in sugar for about an hour because I find it draws out a lot of the moisture but doesn't make them overly salty. Then rinse them off. Do the same thing with salt. Leave it for an hour or two on the counter and salt. Rinse that off and then put them in a in a dish with some vinegar, uh, rice vinegar, white wine vinegar, something like that. And then uh, a little bit of dill and put that in your fridge overnight. And then you've got like perfect... That sounds mackerel. really good. Yeah. That sounds like one to try with like some halibut or cod. Too. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah for sure. I don't, yeah. you know, I've, I've never caught any halibut or cod in Maine. It was <laughs> not really the right place for it. But you know, we a friend of mine when I was a when I was a kid uh, wrote a zine called How to Cook a Mackerel, hmm. and included lots of local recipes from up there in Maine. From wow, that's you know cool. everything from people who were you know doing things like you know essentially a tuna casserole with hmm. mackerel to, you know, there was one recipe in there, I think, where you, you take a brick and you heat it up on the grill and you cook the mackerel on it and then you throw the mackerel away and you eat the brick. <laughs> well, thanks so much again Thank you for, for, having me. for coming really on Feast Your Ears today. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to David Tattashore for engineering can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you find podcasts. Oh, and we're on Spotify now, too. Got to mention that. Please take a moment to like the show wherever you listen. If you do, in fact, like it, if you have any questions for me, you can reach me, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can find me on social media at The Foodballer. Thanks a lot. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.